0: Dun, 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 dun! You sound insane. You that? Oh, yeah. The whole world got crazy. Hey, hey. It's
1: showtime.
2: Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are in the world today—in the Atlantic or the Pacific—we are here in the Western Hemisphere this evening, the United States of America. I am currently broadcasting from. Beautiful Orlando, Florida, somewhere that Brian Gill is very familiar with.
1: Hmm, the happiest place on earth.
2: It is. It, it definitely is. I'm very happy to be here.
1: Not you... Disney World, just Orlando.
2: Yeah, just... yeah. Didn't even go to Disney. Just came to Orlando yeah. just to see the mm-hmm. sights, and it's yeah,
1: been. They've got an amazing, been... an amazing Joe's Crab Shack there. I think.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, it's a actually... Bubble
1: Gump. I'm sure.
2: Yeah. So I'm here for uh, for work this week, <laughs> and. Um, it's actually funny, Brian, that uh, uh, I'm actually staying currently where I'm broadcasting from, the SeaWorld Resort.
1: <laughs> okay. And I'm
2: just thinking to myself, like, who comes to Orlando and goes to SeaWorld? <laughs> it's like the ninth best park in Orlando. <laughs> yeah. If you're here for a month straight, it's like eventually you'd get to SeaWorld, but uh, I don't know. Uh, just go watch Blackfish. That'll uh, brighten your, sure to brighten your day. Um, so yeah, I am here in, in Florida. Brian is back in Texas. Richard Barden is not able to join us this evening, but uh, he's with us in spirit.
1: Maybe. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't that. know if he has a spirit. he's happy to not be here. I don't know.
2: Yeah, but uh, we are going to be joined by a guest tonight. This is a long-awaited episode. Um, it feels like Five years ago that we started talking about Pacific Rim because that's true. Uh, We started the show – I feel like one of the first episodes, one of the first few conversations we had was anticipating Pacific Rim, uh, the announcement of the original movie, what it was going to be. And then we followed it through its production with Guillermo del Toro. Reviewed it on the show. If you haven't heard our review, it is available for, available for downloading your podcast feed. Just check that out. If you want to refresh your thoughts and our thoughts on that, feel free. But, like I said, long time coming, Pacific Rim 2, Uprising, or Pacific Rim, colon, Uprising. A movie that we weren't sure was ever going to happen. It was rumored <laughs> for a long time. I think we went back and forth maybe five or ten times in movie news, like, oh, Pacific Rim 2, Is happening? No, it's not. Now it's going to happen again, okay? Now Guillermo's back on. Now he's off. Now it's going to be a TV series. Now they're going to do a (laughs) video game. You know, it was just so much back and forth with the comic series and everything going on. So, excited to fully break it down, this anticipated movie, Pacific Rim Uprising, and uh, see if it lives up to our lofty expectations. I know our guest, Ariel, has high expectations for it because he might be the only person – on Earth, that liked Pacific Rim more than I did.
1: So <laughs> seriously, uh, I'm going to duck out when you guys get to the review. I think. <laughs> like, All right, see you guys later. Y'all yeah, enjoy.
2: I anticipate uh, Ariel is going to have a lot to say, so I'm excited mm-hmm. for him. And uh, Ariel, by the way, from Geek 101 podcast, shout out to them and check them out if you can. But it would not be a Mad About Movies episode with a little movie news rumors rumblings. Brian mm-hmm. Gill has taken over tonight. Um, I've got a few things I want to talk about in terms of trailers, but that can wait uh, till just prior to our Pacific Rim episode. I mean, our Pacific Rim discussion. And uh, so hit me with your movie news rumors, rumblings. I've been kind of out of the loop here in Orlando. You know, a lot of, a lot of
1: seats to get around. I know. I understand. Um, Here I am at the news desk. It feels weird occupying your seat. Did you hear about uh, – that's how I'm going to phrase every one of these stories. Did you hear about – that sounds really professional.
2: <laughs> I probably Great haven't designer. heard, so yeah, <laughs> okay. just spare yourself that. Just assume uh, that I haven't heard anything.
1: So the, uh, the whole Fox-Disney thing is hmm. continuing to unfold. We're not totally sure exactly what's going to happen with that. And it seems like it's throwing a lot of stuff into flux. X-Men especially seems to be caught in the mix of, like, we don't really know what's going to happen with this, uh, this franchise, where this universe is going to go. Today, we get the news that X-Men, Dark Phoenix, and New Mutants have both been delayed. Dark Phoenix will move from November of this year to February of next year. And New Mutants, this is bad, New Mutants was supposed to come out in a couple of weeks. It was supposed to be mid-April. This year, it got pushed back from there to February of 2019, which now is going to be occupied by Dark Phoenix. Now it's getting pushed back even further to August of 2019. Oh, good grief.
2: Yeah, not So, so essentially, uh, six months from now, we're mm-hmm. going to be talking about a year from now, the new X-Men uh New, new mutants movie comes out yeah. so it's yeah. essentially a, a still a year and a half away i mean yeah. they might as well just shoot it all over again at this point well like, that what? they
1: basically are that's the thing so dark phoenix the uh the rumor or the word on the street for dark phoenix is just we need to do some reshoots and all these people are very busy you know with uh with J Law and and uh, Jessica Chastain and McAvoy and Fastbender, like they all have crazy schedules, so it's just going to take time to be able to get that together. So they're like, okay, that's you know, that happens. It's it's reasonable. Uh, New Mutants apparently did poorly in test screenings, and they are talking about reshooting half or more of the movie. Here's, so
2: here's the question: um, If this is a Disney Fox thing, right? They're worried about the perception with X-Men going forward after the acquisition and everything, wouldn't the strategy be to get those movies out as soon as you can? Mm. Like, wouldn't their strategy be to just dump new mutants out in this February or whenever it was supposed to be released? And then, you know, maybe try and work dark Phoenix in because it's such an important storyline. Maybe you can do some reshoots there. You've got Sophie Turner involved. Who's a big star. you really don't want to give that up. Um, so you want to make that one work. But I don't understand why you can't just put New Mutants out. And if it doesn't work or doesn't make a lot of money, you're like, yeah, it was an experiment. It's not really involved in the X-Men series. It's a kind mm-hmm. of a spin off thing. I feel like you can get away with just putting that one out unless they really think that there's something that's going to spin off into a new franchise or something that's really going to work there. But for me, I would feel like they would uh, – once the acquisition happened, they would say, all right, what are the current X-Men movies we've got? All right, put those out immediately so that we can start completely over with this thing and, you know, do it starting with, uh, you know, after Infinity War, maybe start working the X-Men into those movies after that with Deadpool 2 or stuff like that. So Mm -hmm. to me, this is the opposite approach. I would, or or maybe, Brian, uh, if you have a little more insight on this, I'd like to know, maybe they're gonna twist New Mutants around and Dark Phoenix around and work some Marvel characters into there. Maybe uh, do like a Spider-Man Homecoming or a Captain America Civil War thing where once you get mm. the rights, you can kind of squeeze some characters in there that you previously didn't have the rights to or weren't originally sure. planning for. So there's kind of two strategies, but um, yeah, I don't yeah. see why delaying it a year and a half is a good is a good thing, unless you're completely rewriting slash reshooting. Yeah. I did think uh, I did like the trailer for New Mutants. I think we talked I did about too. it before. It was I very scary. It, it was yeah. like a horror movie. I think that's a cool thing. I love mutants, and I love that part of the X-Men, just the the people that you don't know are are heroes, you know, and they have all these crazy mutations. I think that's really cool and a real-world kind of way to do it, mm-hmm. but um, not too high on, on this news. And hopefully it's for the better. You know, if that comes out in, in August of 2019 and it's, it's, you know, 12% and it makes $15 million, then will it be worth it? No, because you yeah. probably could have just put it out and— Saved all that money and it would have been the same result. So, what are your thoughts? Yeah,
1: that's the problem with X Men. I I love X Men. I'm a huge fan. I, more even so than like Marvel or DC or any of those, I want X Men movies to be good. I love the X Men and I think there's some value in the fact that they are very different from the Marvel movies and they are very different from the DC movies. And, and, and I, you know, I like that contrast. The problem with X Men consistently and we're on we're getting close to 20 years of of x-men movies is they're not consistently good like you have one that's pretty good one that's very good one that's terrible and then they start over and it's like this one's terrible but this one's pretty good you can't ever find a a group and then you like combine in the this the time travel or time warp and all the the various stuff that goes in and it just becomes very convoluted quite quickly um I'm, you know, I'm on board for the new cast. I like Sophie Turner and um, uh, Ty Sheridan, like the the people they brought in in was it Apocalypse was the very bad X Men movie, but um, the mutant, the new mutant one that seems like that should be so easy to get right. Just make it really scary. Make it a straight like a spin off horror movie. But apparently, that's part of the problem is that it's not nearly scary enough. So I, I don't know. I, I mean, I want you to get them right, but. We we you're vastly approaching the, the territory where you just have to say this isn't gonna work and we're gonna like cut this or I don't know sell sell it to Netflix or something like it's just it's a I don't know I want these to be good and I I, I would oh, yeah. also like very much for these even as they are owned by Disney and whatnot I would like them to not have to cross over every freaking time with. Something from the Marvel Universe. I like that they are on their own and kind of off alone. But so I don't. I don't need. I. I maybe I'm concerned now, Kent, that that's what is part of the problem with at least with Dark Phoenix is like, hey, we got to find a way to get Captain (laughs) American or something. You know, like I don't. I really don't. I really don't need that in my life so much. But uh, well, I guess I guess we'll see when it in in a year and a half when we actually get those movies. But uh, not. That's, that's not great news. It's not great,
2: man. Oh, New, New Mutants seemed like a perfect dumped on Netflix kind of a movie. Mm, yeah, I, I, I think that would have been fine. I don't. I don't think anyone really cares about New Mutants to be honest. So well, that's why yeah, it doesn't it, make sense that they didn't just put it out and be like, eh, if it works, it works. If it mm-hmm. doesn't, it, it doesn't. It's kind of yeah.
1: A, you could take some chances there. Yeah, that yeah. you can't with your you know the 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 main properties, right. I guess, but. Oh, well. Um, Let's move on to something different. So, I know you're a big Apple guy, Kinto. Apple's original TV programming, which we have been rumored for years and years and years and years, they seem like they're a little behind the eight ball at this point. Uh, Their first shows will not arrive until sometime between March and the summer of 2019. Oh, wow. We're we're still we're still away from from March of 2019. those programs March or later perhaps later yeah man so this we're is a year all, plus away yeah
2: yeah this is a it's always a really fun conversation in terms of what they could do uh, with a you know a Netflix competitor type uh, app or service and um, I think the unveil that they've been rumored to-do that they've been hinting at for a number of years is still to come. You know, the big, I don't think it's going to be iTunes. I don't think it's going to be the built-in TV app that they put in, all the iPads and iPhones now. I think it's going to be a separate thing. Maybe it, they maybe, maybe they rebrand the TV app to include their original programming, and it also pulls in your cable subscription content, which is kind of the model that they have now. It's the TV app. You know, it pulls, you know, your watch ABC or your watch espn or your hbo go and it pulls in all that content into one place essentially which is really nice i really like the tv app especially on the apple tv uh to catch up on stuff and when a new episode pops up it automatically pops up there and it's like oh new episode of shark tank or you know Mm -hmm. new saturday night live or whatever it is i don't have to go searching for it and all that it's really nice so what apple could do there is is integrate their service into that uh what really excites me about this they've signed some really great talent up so far and uh you know, I don't think we talked about it on the show, but um, my favorite person in Hollywood, Damien Chazelle, is doing a series for Apple uh, that he's writing and directing, and I am super stoked about that. They have kept it under wraps in terms of the plot and everything, but all we know is it's going to be a six- or eight-episode season or series and written and directed by Damien Chazelle. It's like, that's all you needed to say. I'm good. <laughs> I'm on. Um, but, yeah, it's tough, man, because like they could – Buy Netflix if they wanted, like straight up, you know. Uh, they have the, they have $300 billion in cash, like that can, that they can just spend, you know, without even, without even cashing in their stock, essentially. Sure. Like they have actual cash. So, uh, the easy route would be to buy a competitor, to buy Hulu, to buy, um, one of those services and, and rebrand it as Apple and to take in all that content. But, uh, They've got a lot of work to do if they're trying yeah. to to get up to the level of a Netflix or an Amazon Prime even. Uh it's uh-huh. amazing it's amazing. I mean, if you would have told me, you know, 5 years ago that, you know, in 5 years Amazon is going to be the leader in voice recognition software and, you know, home the home automation market essentially is 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 amazon owned with the echo and the mm-hmm. and the alexa and all that it's huge i have two alexas in my house um but if you would have told me that they would have owned that and original programming i'm um, like winning all these emmys and all this crap i mean amazon is doing it right and apple surely has to be shaking in their boots and in, in uh, terms of where the industry has gone while they're still trying to figure things out
1: yeah it's just i I feel like, and I'm not, I don't, you know, I don't know anything about tech. I'm not a tech guy. Uh, but, I, you know, Apple is typically kind of on the forefront of what's happening. And it's just, it's still crazy to me that we're, we're in 2018 and they still don't have their own. It, it just seems like they're way behind where they, you would expect them to be. You know, I look at the list of shows that they are developing and I like a lot of what's on that list. You mentioned Damien Chazelle, Kristen Wig also has a half hour comedy. Uh, M night Shyamalan's doing something there. Uh, uh, Kamal and, uh, and Emily Gordon are doing something Reese Witherspoon, for instance, like these are, these are all pretty strong ideas, at least just on paper, you know, the one sentence like, Oh, that sounds interesting, but gosh, at some point you gotta, you gotta start getting that stuff out there because it's, I, 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 I totally am with the idea of like, Hey, we want to make sure we do it right. But honestly doing it right was probably three or four or five years ago. Like they're just, there's way behind at this point. And it's, it's interesting to me just to to watch that play out and see if, Man, I wonder if they, if they waited too long to, to really get into that game.
2: Yeah. But. This is a, a headline that I actually pulled for movie news last week that we never got to. Uh, and it relates to this. It's really fun. So this is an, uh, an article from Variety from the end of February. And, and it talks about Netflix and kind of their, their plan for the rest of the year. And the headline is, Netflix eyeing a total of about 700 original series in 2018. 700 <laughs> uh, <laughs> series and or uh, original movies. That doesn't – that uh, includes uh, pretty much everything they're going to do. So they're going to spend around $8 billion in content Man. in 2018, and uh, that was from uh, – what's his name? D- CFO David Wells said, quote, in the 700 range, which is uh, going to be – includes new seasons of current shows. Shows that are already out there, but uh, not including the the shows that they're going to launch this year and all that, uh, 700 (laughs) series. So, yeah, I would say Apple really needs to catch up. But uh, what is your thoughts on Netflix as a a whole with this model of throw everything against the wall? If it sticks, it sticks. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Because there are so many shows on Netflix. It's a little bit overwhelming sometimes because I'll go on there and I'll be like, oh, I didn't see this show – I don't even know, you know, alphas or whatever it is, or, or travelers or whatever it is. And it's like, it has five seasons? I've never even heard of this. And it's a Netflix original? You know, I don't understand. I mean, apparently there's an audience for everything. I understand that. But uh, I just don't understand how there's so many original Netflix, original series. It's unbelievable. And the quality of the programming is so good. The production value on everything is so yeah. top notch. I mean, they're, they're – I. they're I mean they're literally saying, uh, do what you want.
0: <laughs> you know? Well it's yeah. Like that, you hire Aziz yeah.
2: to do a show, you're like, all right, <laughs> yeah, go do what you want, let us know, you know, and it worked out. But uh right. that's awesome. It's just it's gotta be a dream for any artist to go to go work with them.
1: Yeah, it totally is. We talked about that when we did uh mute or and or Cloverfield Paradox, I can't remember which one. Right. There's some downside to that because you know, <laughs> Mute didn't need to be made but regardless there's you know there's some there's there's pros and cons to uh to to both sides of that but like they're smart in that there is so much content that pretty much no matter who you are or um what you are looking for you will be able to stumble upon something that uh that you even if you, you you may not be like oh i just i i've heard great things about this at the old water cooler i cannot wait to go home and watch altered carbon or whatever, but you just find these things and you're like, all right, I'll give that a try. And then it kind of doesn't matter really even if it's good because you're probably not going to be like, man, that show was terrible. Uh and now I'm going to end my Netflix subscription. Right. You know, you're just going to be like, well that sucked. And then literally as it's ending, it's popping up another like, hey, have you heard about this? You should give this a try. And you're like all right, sure. Why not? You know, and it just it keeps going. Today, I watched uh, I watched a, uh, a Feudal and stupid gesture. Or stupid. Which one is it? Feudal and stupid feudal. gesture. Yeah, I watched that today, and uh, it ended, and and a, very good. Liked it a lot, and and uh, it brought up. Hey, have you heard about this show? No, I have not. I watched the trailer, and I was like, well, okay. I'll, I'll, at the very least, I'll add that to the queue. I may come back around to that later. It's they they're they're serving everybody and they have the perfect method with which to uh with which to do it you know it's it's a fun time to be a consumer for sure i'm sure it's super stressful to be netflix amazon apple uh hulu crackle like somebody in those chairs like ah dang it you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) netflix just put out six more shows crap and or you know vice versa with the others but as a consumer all these things are very inexpensive, and they're right at your fingertips all the time, and it's uh, it's you know it's pretty incredible for us. I think.
2: I think so too. Did you hear about this Ryan Murphy deal they did too? Yeah, he signed Ryan sure. Murphy up uh, for a three hundred million dollar deal. That's he's going to bring new series to Netflix. Ryan Murphy is the mind behind Nip Tuck, uh, American Crime Story, American Horror Story. And yeah. some other very popular Glee, cable shows,
1: nine one one, yeah, right, he's all over the place.
2: And uh, I mean, those are the types of acquis- acquisitions that Netflix is making that Apple's got to play catch up with. You know, I mean, Netflix has who Dave Chappelle, Jerry Seinfeld, uh, you know, Joel McHale, Aziz, all these um, creatives that are um, in the Netflix umbrella for exclusive contracts. I mean, there's no way Jerry's going to go make a show. For Apple, it's just not happening because Netflix can offer a lot more, probably in terms of uh, creative freedom, and they already have the the avenue for these people to uh, to make these shows. It's not like an experiment; it's already an established brand, and it's got it's trusted. Um, I really think Netflix needs to concentrate more on movies and quality movies because that's going to be their their reputation, if they're not careful, is, yeah, there's TV shows are great, but the movies are all terrible. You know, with the exception mm-hmm. of Mudbound or uh, Beasts of No Nation or those kinds of movies, um, they've really struck out with these big uh, budget sci-fi movies that they've put out with Bright and Mute and, you said, Cloverfield. Um, if I was them, I'd be more worried about movies than I would be about putting out 700 TV shows and in 2018 but we'll see you know um i'm not canceling my netflix you said it (laughs) uh if i see something bad i'll just watch something else and there's enough content on there that's not original that's the office or parks and rec or something Mm -hmm. else that i can watch you know some cooking show or something a documentary that there's enough on there for me to to stay satisfied but you know what i'd probably keep it even if it was only in netflix original stuff
1: because there's oh totally yeah at this point for 10 bucks a month or whatever yeah Yeah, Yeah, I mean, it's you almost feel like you're it it is the only thing maybe outside of like Game of Thrones. There's like two shows a year, whether they're on regular TV or HBO or something like that, that kind of grab the attention of of, uh, the average person. And it's like this is something that we can talk about as a as a culture because TV is so segmented. You don't get that very often. It's a couple times a year. If there's a consistent provider of that, it's it's Netflix. It's uh, making a murderer. It's uh, what was the other one earlier this year? They they it's they don't last particularly long. They're you know they're kind of flash in the pan. Uh, this is the second time I've mentioned a water cooler, which no one has anymore. But they're they're flash in the pan water cooler uh, moments where you if you're not watching this series at this time. Um, you're missing out and you're you're losing the ability to converse um, with the people in your everyday life about this one particular thing. And again, it doesn't last very long. It's not like uh, Breaking Bad that had this like slow build to that final season where every single week, everybody, that's all anybody was talking about is Breaking Bad. And Game of Thrones will be that way when it comes back for its final season, stuff like that. But for two weeks, no one... No one was talking about anything uh, TV or movie related that didn't involve making a murderer, you know, and things right. like that. And so, like that, ten bucks a month in some ways is this is getting way off, crazy philosophical or psychological. But like it's uh, it's almost like a of a, 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 it feels of a uh, a social aspect that's, as much as you do you, uh, you have
2: FOMO more than anything about Netflix. You know, that's how <laughs> sure. I. That's honestly how I felt about Game of Thrones. I was like, I have put this off for way too long. And when last, you know, season seven came around, I'm like, I'm not missing out on the societal mm-hmm. conversation yeah. surrounding Game of Thrones. Like it wasn't worth it for me at every dinner or every work yeah. event or whatever mm-hmm. to be like, sorry, I don't watch Game of Thrones. You know, just yeah, like absolutely. I would rather spend an entire week catching up and, you know, 12 hours a day than miss out <laughs> on that conversation. That's yeah. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing or really sad, but probably a yeah. lot.
1: Well, it, it harkens back to like how TV used to be because you we've like I said we've segmented we've niched out so far that you don't get that very often. But you know, you think it wasn't that long ago when uh, I mean I for the VIP newsletter this month we sent out some links and stuff, and one of the things I linked to was an oral history of MASH that uh, Hollywood Reporter did. I was born on the night that uh, the MASH series finale aired or whatever and the um i can't remember i'd have to go back and look but the like ratings for that it was like 70 million people watched that episode of of television like we don't and i know that was like 35 years ago but in a, in a, the grand scheme of things that wasn't that long ago and um and that's that's like kind of what you get for just these brief moments with uh, with your game of thrones or your uh the various stuff that that netflix and amazon and blah, blah 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 offer but um but you just otherwise you don't get that get that because you know for me it's like i'm just i have to like run out onto the street and yell at people to watch good place because there's just not enough people that are actually watching the good place. even within like my group of friends i feel like i'm like every time i talk to them I'm like hey have you watched the good place yet it's on freaking netflix have you watched it no go home and watch, you know and we're just also, you know, kind of branched out to our own thing on that front. But it it's yes, it's maybe it's not a great thing, can't we? <laughs> but it's it at least is a traditional thing. At least there's that. It it kind of harkens back to a a bygone era. Um Absolutely. I've got two more things to get to really fast and then we'll we'll uh we'll jump out of this. Uh Netflix <laughs> Segway is doing a live action movie of where in the world is Carmen Sandiego starring hmm. Gina Rodriguez of Annihilation and Jane the Virgin? And uh, Oh, and I thought things. that was animated. It is a live action show, my friend. Live That's a good action. idea. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Did you watch – was that a thing when you were a kid? I know I'm a little older than yes. you. Yes. I can't remember if that was – 100
2: percent, yeah. Right, PBS, good. when I was a kid, it was Carmen Sandiego, Ghost Rider, and Bill Nye, I think. Back to okay. back to back when I got home from school and uh, I was big, yeah, big into Carmen San Diego, had the computer game and everything. Same. They had a computer game where you could go solve mysteries. Or like, I remember it, it traveled you around the world and you had to find like these, uh, uh, what was it, criminals essentially. Uh, man, that's bringing back some weird memories. Carmen yeah. San Diego PC game. Look that up for some great <laughs> right? nostalgia. Yeah. Yeah. But um but yeah, I, I don't know if kids nowadays care or if they will about, especially a lot of live action. I would have thought the perfect ploy here would be to reboot it in animation for kids, and uh, maybe do a movie after that if it's successful. Um, they, they, I know they brought back on Netflix the Magic School Bus,
1: uh-huh.
2: which finally took them till twenty seventeen to bring that back. I mean, that's the most <laughs> obvious thing of all time that needs to be. You know, for kids, like, that show needs to be like Sesame Street. It's just a new educational uh, subject every single week that the kids could explore. Magic School Bus and Bill Nye taught me a ton <laughs> when I was a kid about science and technology and the body and everything like that. So, um, so, yeah, I'm surprised it took them forever to do that. I really think they could do the Magic School Bus really well in live action. I think that would be a great movie. You know, get Amy Adams to be Miss Frizzle and curl her hair and... Or Jessica Chastain or somebody, and do that. I think that would work really well in live action. So, yeah, the opposite of what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's also funny? That's what you want. Um, I, I really think Netflix could do a series. Um, speaking of PC games, I think they could do like a pretty good series on the Oregon Trail, if that makes sense. <laughs>
1: Could you do it stri- would you do it straight or would you do it like Jumanji? Make it kind of a No, like-
2: I think you would do it like um godless or a show like that. Like have a Oh maybe like not real, maybe not super dark. dark like that, but just have a... <laughs> maybe like Westworld or something, you know, have a kind of a serious tone, but also a little wink to the to the audience, you know. Mm-hmm. Um I think I just think a show centered around uh the American Western expansion would be really good. In a multi-season arc thing, I think sure. that's a really interesting uh, story that really hasn't been told the right way. And I think the Oregon Trail has a has a um, enough brand recognition that you would intrigue people too, and people will be betting in Vegas on who what the first character to die of dysentery is going to be. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you could yeah. have all these you know little moments from the game that you remember worked into the show, and I think that could really work. So. I think Netflix really could take some of these brands that have kind of expired culturally and reboot them in that kind of mm-hmm. way, and uh, yeah, that could really work for them too.
1: Yeah, that'd be fun. All right, last note, and yep. then we'll move on. This is v- real quick. They're one. doing but, Lost
2: in Space, aren't they? Too
1: yes. I'm yeah. I we haven't talked about that. I'm pretty excited about that one. That could be I cool. think the trailer is great for that. It's a and series that, to me. Yeah, it's a series. And that to me is the kind of I've harped on this before. That's the kind of uh, show or movie that you should be rebooting. It's something that like has some name recognition but doesn't have like this. Um, I don't know. It's not like an untouchable nostalgic property because the you know we've already redone it once. That terrible '97 uh, Matthew LeBlanc remake, but. It, it, it to me that's like kind of the prime property that we'd be looking for to do a remake, and that trailer looks really good. I think that comes, I think that starts this week or very soon, very soon. I'm I'm legitimately uh, excited about that one. I'm hoping that 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 plays out uh, as well as it looks in in the uh, in the trailers. Something that did play out as well as it looked in the trailer. Can't look at that segue. Marvel's Black Panther is now the highest grossing superhero movie ever domestically. Wow. Yeah. Five, That's six. Pretty weeks, big deal. Five weeks, something like that. So how
2: long is that gonna last? Three uh, more weeks until <laughs> Avengers?
1: We'll see. That will be the that'll be a major litmus test for it. But uh yeah, it's it's at six hundred and twenty-five million dollars domestically, one point two, I believe, worldwide. Avengers, the first Avengers made uh one point five worldwide so it's still got a little bit to go there but uh at this point i kind of would take that chance i think it's 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 uh moving in the right direction to yeah to surpass uh, avengers especially given again it's only been out for five weeks or so
2: six it's funny months. the uh first movie to beat it was pacific rim
1: mm-hmm. yeah <laughs>
2: at the process since it came weeks, out gosh, unbelievable crazy crazy um yeah. i never would have expected that either i honestly like i said thought i was the only person who who liked pacific Rim. <laughs> and the fact that like it's got this big fan base and um it made so much money not so much not a ton of money but uh, it won the weekend and mm-hmm. people were looking forward to it actually surprises me i think it did uh really well on home in the home market Mm -hmm. So I'll be interested to talk to our guest about that. You want to bring in Ariel?
1: Yeah, let's do it.
2: All All right, so we welcome in Ariel Rada from Geek 101 to the show. What up, man?
0: What's up, guys? I'm glad to be back. It's good to have you back,
2: man. What was the last episode you were on with us? I think it was... Was it Valerian with Brian, maybe?
0: Oh, I think so. That was that's, <laughs> did you block a r- that out. That was you a rough okay? time. Oh, <laughs> oh no.
1: It's, the best part about that, in case no one if, in case you didn't listen to the Valerian podcast, which I understand, uh air, then you have to like truck like an hour away to be able to see it <laughs> because it was only showing at like one movie theater yeah. by the time we did it. Yeah. Yeah, dude, it so. was a
0: ten PM showing mm. uh, on a weekday. Forty five minutes from my house. Nice. And it was like <laughs> it was like eleven thirty and I, and the movie was like maybe two thirds over and I was like I don't care what, the, what happens to rest
2: That's so funny. Rick, that pulled the
0: Richard. That do <laughs>
2: that nearly happened with me. Um I wanted to see downsizing <laughs> and the last <laughs> screening literally in the entire city of Dallas was like a ten thirty uh on a you know, Wednesday or something. And I honestly thought about like, if I don't see this movie now, it, I'm probably never going to see it in my life. And I didn't go see it. So
1: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. Well, it's out on DVD now. So, you know, you can, you can catch up now. Cause it's very, it's still very. Yeah, sure. They have enough to, copies. I'm they sure didn't you... sell
2: out of that thing yet. Or <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Richard really liked that movie, which we never talked. about I know. About. Um, I, I still know. haven't seen it. He's so the only Maybe one. I'll like it too. I don't know. But uh, we welcome Ariel. To the show to discuss Pacific Rim, uprising, and uh, Ariel, you're a noted Pacific Rim aficionado, sympathizer, mm. Pac Rim Nation. Right. I
0: I mean I think that's that's really underselling my love for Pac Rim. That, Strong that yeah. that film. Uh, it is my number one favorite movie of all time. Uh, Pacific Rim. Wow. Uh, edging out probably like. Logan or Saving Private Ryan or the Princess Bride but it is Val- Valerian maybe Val- yeah. <laughs> Valerian uh Luc Besson's um true masterpiece Valerian uh, not not 1500 Yeah Jupiter color. Ascending, yeah oh, okay. Gosh uh it's <laughs> but yeah, I I am I'm as big a Pacific Rim fan uh fan as you will ever meet in your life. I've got toys and posters and
2: mm-hmm.
0: stuff like that so
2: I do uh I do own the Gypsy Danger NECA replica toy, like the, uh, I guess it's an eight inch Gypsy Danger or something like that. The one that it's Gypsy Danger, like holding the ship, you know, <laughs> like oh, yeah. he, he's like dragging the ship in the first movie. Like it's that figure. I have it on my desk and it's awesome. And I love, um, I love Pacific Rim too. I love the first one. And, uh, like I said, thought I was the only one, but Brian, can you refresh the Man Fam just on your overall general thoughts on the first movie?
1: Uh, I thought the first movie was fine. I I enjoyed it. I had fun with it. Um, I immediately forgot it as soon as I saw Godzilla that I decided that's been my bit this whole time is that I have room in my mind, in my brain and in my heart for one movie like that. And it was either Godzilla or Pac-Rim and I liked Godzilla better. I literally don't remember... I usually rewatch movies before I see a sequel, but I just didn't have time this week, and I've been busy with all these other dumb things that, like having a job and you know kids and stuff like that. But um, I I didn't get a chance to rewatch it. I don't remember anything that happened. Like I, I mean, you know, it's not. <laughs> it's not like there's like a lot of nuance to the <laughs> movie, you. so it's, it's that's the thing though, <laughs> like, there it's, is. It's you know what I mean. Like like there the, is the broad <laughs> strokes. I can remember the broad strokes and, and that's fine. But I don't remember I was like, did this guy die? I still don't remember what happened to Charlie Hunnam's character or his career. And uh and I don't I I vaguely remember canceling the apocalypse. With uh with Idris Elba, but that's that's about all that I can remember. I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. I have seen bits and pieces of it on like FXX. It, it does seem like it gets a good run on that front. Um, but I d- I have not revisited since we saw that movie. Was that 2014 or 13. 2013? Okay, man, that was the first year of the podcast. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, I haven't revisited it since then. I don't think in its entirety, and um. And and I'm I'm okay with my life choice on that front. I think I gave it a B B+. So it's not like I'm dogging it. I it was it was fun and fine, but not uh, my favorite movie of all time. I, I, yeah, to
0: the layman, it's a it's a B B plus movie, and I'm okay with that. Sure.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think there are uh, movies of that type that I liked Godzilla probably more as a movie, but uh, what what I loved about Pacific Rim. Was that it was a hundred percent an original idea, property, something completely new to the table. That mm-hmm. was a passion project from one of the most visionary directors, who mm-hmm.
1: grew up. Wish it had more fish monster sex. That's the real problem with the movie. <laughs> right. if it just could have could have had some of that in there. Then a plus for sure it, to me. <laughs> it's
2: funny because. Yeah, he uh didn't do this movie so that he could do that movie. And I think it worked out. <laughs> He's got the uh the Oscar. He got for some it. hardware, yeah, yeah. It uh think I think that was the right decision. But <laughs> um but yeah, man, I, I just love the the entire process of Pacific Rim. I mean watching the D V D extras on the original movie is one of my favorite things. I love the way Del Toro directed that movie and kind of guided that vision and how he had his input on every frame and and pixel of that movie and so that really impresses me and um i think that uh, it has a lot of morals to it a lot of value to it you said it was was not a film of of great nuance uh i think it is I, to a certain joking. level.
1: I'm, i wasn't trying to dog it i was making it <laughs> <just> <laughs> um, for the record
2: but what i think really works is the family aspect of it the um compatibility of the of the pilots and the reveal with Idris Elba at the end is a very effective moment in the movie. And uh, I think it, it pays a good payoff and it, it it earns that payoff. And so revisiting that movie is always something I enjoy doing. Um, But Ariel, I wanted to ask you because uh, Pacific Rim came out in the theater in 2013. And I feel like uh, it was around July 4th and I feel like it was out for three weeks and then it was gone. But in the meantime, since then uh, the past five years, it's grown this huge fan base, which surprises me because I felt like it was a movie that you would only really like or understand or appreciate on a 30 foot screen. So um, has it surprised you, Ariel, that it has gotten the fan base that it has over the, over the past five years? I just didn't think that there was a demand for a sequel.
0: Um, I no, I don't think so because and I'm going to sound incredibly nerdy here. Uh like you said he, no. he he gives you so much he gives you so much nuance and and it's not even in like the story or the characters it's really in this world this really impressive world he's built and uh and the terms and the technologies he's created through it and and so for example between my friends and I and among like you know geeks and podcasters like the term drift compatible is such a unique way like to to express something right and it's like he's like oh yeah like you and i vibe and we have this friendship or connection or something that you know is just is not really not really like close friends but we just we vibe in certain ways oh we're drift compatible um he and he really just he created these these giant robots which have replaced in a sense like megazords and and mm-hmm. uh you know Gundam. this is the right or, or gundams are more there's a more widespread appeal and and I say this to people this is the real reason I say this to people all the time uh one of the biggest things you'll find at at conventions uh comic cons stuff like that is that the the power Ranger actors from back in the day they just have these crazy long autograph lines or or meet and greets or pictures, and it's because people aged twenty five to uh how old are you brian fifty yeah, five um sixty three no but but really it's like people aged um 25 to 35, uh, they grew up with Power Rangers, right? And 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 now that is the group of people that have um, full-time jobs and no kids, right? Uh, statistically speaking, so they have disposable income. And so this is the type of people that love giant robots fighting giant monsters. So they get in line for Power Rangers. They, they, they stand for Pacific Rim for giant monsters. Like we grew up watching Godzilla. We grew up watching... Street Sharks and Battle Toads and Ninja Turtles and stuff like that. Battle Toads and, <laughs> Battletoads, and, and dude, this is like this is the this is the type of film uh, Pacific Rim the first one any, anyway uh, that really invites those types of fans and um, and it Battle has, Toads
2: needs to be remade like it really yeah. does. What was the game <laughs> Zit was that one of them? Uh,
0: like,
2: there were like three of them. It was like Zit, Pimple, and
0: oh dude, I, I I don't Just remember, but up. it was like Sega like Genesis. Throwback. Yeah, but like, like I said, this is we have you know this group of people have millennials, you know, for lack of a better word, have full time jobs, disposable income, and uh, and have less kids statistically, uh, or have are having kids at an older age than ever before. So people are like, hey, I've got you know two hundred dollars in my budget for the next three months. Let me go find um, the guy who's Tommy from Power Rangers and have him sign my. Dragon sword or whatever. See, I don't even know Chests. these things. Yeah, <laughs> <You're>, his, <laughs> have him slide yeah. my chest, and I can tattoo it uh, once I shave my chest here <laughs> or something like that. But this is this is the type of <laughs> this is the type. How do you of... <laughs> know what my tattoo is? <laughs> but Jason David Frank. That's that's who it was. Who yes. had recently had beef with uh, Jean Claude Van Damme. That was my favorite highlight.
1: They're like, oh, uh,
2: they're, there's a great video of them like actually fighting, and it's, it's <laughs> glorious.
0: <laughs>
2: Green but range. It's, it's
0: a, yeah, the Green, uh, the green yeah. Ranger versus JCV versus yeah. Um and with the uh ascension of Guillermo del Toro as kind of this uh, the true auteur and Oscar-winning filmmaker, uh as soon as people heard shape of water was getting Oscar buzz, I'm I'm assuming the the fandom uh, of Pacific Rim became uh it became less like closeted and people could come out and say, "Oh man, I loved Pacific Rim. I've always loved it." Um you're all liars. Me and Kent loved it. <laughs> publicly before any of you.
2: Yep. We definitely did, and it's on the record for everyone to <laughs> to see. Um, okay. Let's move on to Pacific Rim Uprising. I'm not going to bury the lead here anymore. Ariel, general thoughts on Uprising.
0: Okay. So I after watching the trailer, I came into this with very tempered expectations. I was like, all right, this is not Guillermo del Toro. Uh the trailer has shown me that this is this is going to be dumb but this is going to be entertaining and, and and fun and uh it was dumber than i imagined it would be in a lot of ways <laughs> um but i think the core concepts that are very interesting um they decided to keep in it because cause i think Guillermo del Toro wrote those in his original script uh so as a result there are some good ideas but the action uh is fun and um and I looked at it like it's a kids' movie because for some reason they had seven young Ugh. leads that they wanted to shoehorn into this. So to me, this is a this is a PG-13 kids' movie, and it was effective in being a PG-13 kids' movie.
2: Yeah, right.
1: Yeah, it, it, I guess, I guess. it's. <sighs> I also did not expect a lot. I think the trailer for this was really bad, and then knowing that... Even as somebody who's not a big Del Toro fan, you know I can absolutely appreciate you know, all of the skill that he brings to the table. So knowing that he wasn't going to be involved in this was a, a down vote. <laughs> and kind of left me was like, oh no, this is kind of the, the scrap of of what he uh, he left on the bone. I don't know. I, I'm not super excited about that. The trailer's not great. I like Boyega. I, I kind of like... Scott Eastwood was he in the first movie or was he he wasn't How right? Dare you? <laughs> <laughs> I really I can't I just I can't remember. Godzilla came in and obliterated that part of my brain. No, it, it's I thought Scott Eastwood is is like he has a, a little bit to him. I, this is not great. This is not like the highlight reel, but he he has something about him that you say, oh that guy could be a really solid action star at some point in his life. And I love Boyega. I don't know why and this is it's not just this movie every movie needs to take this lesson just seriously if you're writing a script and you start writing in child or teenage characters you really there there needs to be like a 40-step process to deciding whether or not you really actually need those characters because it, it just immediately it's so hard to get casting right it's hard to find seven or eight kids who are can act and are available for your movie, and uh, and then you you it just take it's more effort to try to get the the better you know strong performances or just like passable performances out of them, and ultimately I just feel like you you have to really need the kid to the kids in the movie in order to make those casting decisions. Does that make sense? Like if you can go, I've mentioned before, but The Walking Dead is a great example of like. Carl is, and I've stopped watching The Walking Dead a, a long time ago. Oh, thank ago. goodness. Oh, it's, it's, it's I stopped watching those,
2: After the oh. Governor stuff. That's the last time it
1: was good, right? I have no clue. It, it was, it may never have been good, but regardless, I, <laughs> that, that character just drags and drags and drags. It's just like, please, please die. Like, I, please die. And, um, especially in a show like that where everybody's dying, you're like, how in the world is this kid making it through? But, um, I, that's a that's a major problem, and we even saw that with the, with the last Transformers movie. We got we got to shoehorn a kid in here, and for some reason, because this is not already dumbed down enough, we've got to we've got to play down to the kids as well. I don't know. I I there was parts of this that I enjoyed. It's not it's not a terrible movie by any stretch of the imagination. I you know, and it is what it is. Like it's it's robots fighting robots, and I can accept that that is a thing that people really like, even if it's not really my thing as someone who is too old for power rangers and never had that kind of uh nostalgia built into that and and everything to me this was like when john boyega was not on screen to me it was just like this is basically power rangers with better better special effects and then some places only marginally better special effects for me
2: yeah i'm glad you mentioned what this is what this was to you what it what it is at its root robots fighting robots right um, mm. I think it's my biggest issue with, with the direction of the sequel, and Ariel, you might be able to echo this. I don't know if you have these thoughts, but what I loved about the first one was it was robots fighting Kaiju, <laughs> right? Monsters. <laughs> yeah. This yeah. movie was 90% robots fighting other robots, and to me that's just like you're going straight down the old – Transformers, Revenge of the Fallen Path, you know. Um, Mm. At its root, I think what made this thing fun was the mechanical versus the organic, right? The man-made versus the naturally occurring, right? That whole man versus machine. It's a simple simple plot, right? Um, So I think that's mistake number one with this movie, is the emphasis on oh, now we're fighting evil robots instead of evil monsters. And the delay of the kaiju coming back and the breach being bring being reopened um ariel did you have any of those thoughts because at all i wanted this movie with to be was robots fighting monsters and i only got that for like eight minutes
0: <laughs> yeah there is something to say if you compare it to the first one especially uh how um how boring i think the fight was in comparison to to the last one so one of the things that makes something like Gundam—I don't know if you guys are familiar with it—so uh, oh, yeah. so successful is that they they make each robot so dang unique that the fights are really creative, and you see you want to see how they match up. And in this one, like the the robot it fights is almost an exact copy of like Gypsy Avenger, and you're just like, oh, you're just fighting a, a version of yourself that has two swords. And what makes the 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 robots versus the Kaiju cool is like. Right, the kaiju have these crazy abilities and these crazy like like oh, this one has a tail, this one's a scorpion, this one's a crab, and the robots are like, okay, what is what weapons does this one have? And you you get to see these awesome matchups. Uh, Guillermo del Toro kind of compared <laughs> Pacific Rim to like WWE wrestling, where it's just like I'm just gonna throw yeah. things at you and surprise you and, and and put on a show. And we didn't we didn't get that with this. I, I, I do like. You know, as as a big Godzilla fan, you're like, yeah, I want to see these creative monsters, and you or you want to see kind of humanity struggle against them and 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 create monsters of their own, as as the line goes in the, in the original one. So, yeah, it, it was kind of upsetting that, uh, and I said this on on our review, that we don't get us a set like a real fight that's not shown in the trailer. Um, you have the fight between yep. him and, and and Obsidian Fury in the beginning or in the first third, and then in the last third, you have the. Um, this isn't spoilers because this isn't trailer. Uh, you have the fight with the the big big monster, and it, it wasn't it wasn't anything unique. It wasn't anything special compared to the last one.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and something I really admired about the first film too was the the Guillermo's use of perspective. I thought that was genius in, in making the monsters and the the uh, uh, Jaeger seem larger than life. He really shot a lot of the film from the perspective of the ground, which is a really easy way to show us the scale. This movie had a lot less of that. It was a lot more of we're, we're on from the perspective of the Jaegers or uh, you we're know, in a helicopter at the height of the Jaegers, right? It had a lot less of that uh, scale that I wanted. Um, what really sticks out for me in Pacific Rim and it still gives me like chills to think about it is the scene – at the beginning, after the first kind of big action sequence where I don't know if it's Gypsy Danger, like falls on the beach, you know what I'm talking about, and like oh, collapses on, when he on, falls the beach. on the ice. Yeah, yeah. I, I just think that is the one of the best shots that Guillermo's ever done, and it shows you everything you need to know about um, about that and the way it crashes down and the just the entire weight of the thing. I just loved the weight of the animals, like. And uh, the kaiju, you know, when they're punching each other, you just feel, you can feel that those things are, uh, you know, however many thousands of tons that they are. You just felt, it just felt so real in the first film. What this, what this seemed like to me was, okay, let's take the same budget of Pacific Rim and let's do twice the amount of stuff so that everything that we do is going to look half as good as the first movie. <laughs> yeah.
1: Does that make yeah. sense?
2: Like it is it's just like they doubled everything and they're like, "Okay, just do half the amount of detail, half the amount of animation." It felt a lot more watered down, a lot less polished than the first film. And that's 5 years ago was was the 2013 Pacific Rim. Um so, you know, what I was worried about with this movie was that it was going to be an overstuffed uh, sequel with just too much flying at you. There's a lot flying at you, but it is fun. I'll be lying to myself. I didn't have some fun watching this because I do like mm-hmm. this universe. I like this world. I think John Boyega is a very charismatic lead and uh, impressed me with his ability to lead this. I mean, um, he wasn't great, but I think he did a good job, a passable job of doing this. Um, he was asked to do a lot. I think that's kind the of script yeah he, he did not get yeah. any help at all in terms of the subject <laughs> matter or anything like that there was some cringy kind of jokes in there with the salt bay with the sprinkles and all that stuff it's like some <laughs> of it worked some of it didn't i'd i admire the effort but uh but overall i just i wish it had the i wish the effects had been as well done as the first movie but for some reason they won't and weren't and uh that that perspective issue I, was something that really stuck out to me was just uh, the lack of scale in this movie.
0: Yeah,
1: I think you're right on. Like that kind of gave me a a greater appreciation for the previous film because there's just it's just kind of lacking the perspective and the scale big time. It, it looks they're so big. The, the uh, oh, what are they freaking called? The uh, uh, the Jaegers are just so big, and it I don't know why that didn't stick out to me so much the first time around. But to your point, I think it's just – it's the very good director behind the camera. But um, it just looks kind of ridiculous this time around set against those cityscapes and stuff. And there's just like a – I don't know. There's like a polish that's missing from this that the first movie Yeah, I felt like the
2: first movie had a little layer of grunge to it, a layer Mm. of dirt that was wiped clean with this movie.
0: Yeah, and – and I think uh, the scale is important. And I think actually Gareth Edwards does a better job of that with Godzilla. Um, right. But because I just I just watched all these movies in anticipation for this. Um, mm-hmm. But what del Toro does is, is it's the it's the weight. Like you said, Kent, it's the moment when like like when the like, Gypsy Danger falls on the ice, um, that yep. like that ice beach. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's like the camera shakes. Um, right. Every mm-hmm. time you yeah. see him like kind of cock it back, you see the, the rain like brush right. off. The
2: water droplets and everything right
0: right um and 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 like you see like the even the way the the vibrations move through the joints of the metal of the robot it, it really show you that like this this looks like a really heavy puppet moving through and like like almost almost like it's stop action when in in uprising it literally looks like someone drew these cartoons to let them like You know, to to have them fight in the thing, it's it's really the difference between like an animated and a real life thing, and and obviously, it's not real. But like even the moment when he picks up like the that insane boat that you have the toy of in the first one, it's um, like I don't know, it's it's the way he treats physics. He he makes you forget that like these things would never exist in real life, um, but he sets up the rule that they can, and then he. Tries to obey physics as much as possible within that exception, and in this one, it's like no, no, no exceptions galore. Things can move like this, um, and, and and Stephen and I just didn't really care for that type of detail, which really speaks to Del Toro's um, you know attention to those details as a director. Sure.
2: Yeah. What is the uh, what's the Jager called that has the, like uh, the punching fist? You know what I'm talking about from the first movie? Uh, ch- it's the Cherno German Alpha. one. Yeah, Alpha. That one, or the Russian one, I should say. Uh, yeah, that, that one, especially with the scale. Like when that when that well, like fist, you know, gets cocked back into the into the actual uh, wrist of the, the yeah. robot, and then it shoots it out and punches, has like such a recoil to it. You know, like there's so much weight to everything. Like these these things can't just punch and then pull their arm back and punch again. Like there's there's um for example, okay. So uh, Steven Spielberg made Jurassic Park, right? Um, one of his main problems or issues that he faced when creating the T Rex in full scale and in, in, in an animatronic T Rex for the for the sequence where the T Rex busts for the jeep, like the famous sequence, uh, he had to have that. But what he what couldn't happen was for that T Rex to recoil, right? Because it's an organic creature. Like right when you see a bird they whip their head around, right, really fast. Right, And they they whip their head around. He had to have that T-Rex, at that size, be able to whip its head around and stop on a dime, like right in front of your face, right, Um, without Mm. any kind of shake or recoil that would show that it's like a mechanical machine. Uh, Guillermo took the opposite approach, and he's like, listen, these are animated creatures. I want all the recoil that we have so that these look like machines. Does that make any sense at all? Um, But yeah, that was totally missing from here, and that's missing... Big time from the Transformer series. They don't look like robots. Yeah. They look like stuntmen doing uh, mocap, and then they just like paste over a robot <laughs> or something. It looks like a. It looks about as real as the Megazord in the original Power Rangers, where it's clearly a guy in a
0: costume. <laughs> like right. Fighting. That's how. That's how the Jaegers the in this movie move. That they they move yes. with, with like you know skin tight Megazord suits. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was yeah. just checked out
1: no, I'm with you i I literally there was a point, maybe two or three times in this movie where i I'm not kidding. I really for one second thought I was watching a power Rangers movie, and like I was expecting the the theme song to kick in at some point, and I was like, oh right, that's not this movie that's a that's another that's a movie I saw last year that I've tried to block out, but I just, I don't know. I feel like I've, i I think it accomplished what it was trying to set, like it, what it set out to accomplish, but it did so at the basis level. Whereas, um, again, even as somebody who's not a huge fan of that first movie, that movie really had ambition and it really, um, set out to do much more than th- honestly, this is kind of what I expected from the first movie this this kind of uh, of a, a feature like kind of really cheesy and uh, and very dumb and and just kind of like all right this is this is playing to a certain crowd of which I am not a part and then the first one was much better than this so I on so I guess in some level I should cut this a break of like it's robots fighting robots it's just it's you know it's it is what it is and and just let it be because to your point Ariel, it really does start to play more and more like a kids movie I'm not sure that that's a good thing and i certainly would not have gone that direction if i was uh the director or the writer or anyone involved but um but it does you know maybe that's just the whole point is like hey just i don't know have fun it's a dumb it's robots fighting robots let's just let's deal with it but i think you're both spot on i to make that movie to make uprising more enjoyable to make it um have some kind of like staying power and not just be A sequel made by completely different people which is like a whole genre of film you know uh to to have it not fall into that category you you do need some of that there has to be that's always the big complaint with cgi and and uh you know heavy special effects movies is that there's no weight to what's happening on screen and then you see a movie that has weight within the CGI, and you're just like, "Holy cow!" That's a. Compl- I watched Jurassic Park yesterday. That movie's 25 years old, and it still looks and feels and sounds incredible. Um, you know, frame to frame, it's unreal. And then this comes out, and you're like, "You guys have 25 years of, <laughs> of extra technology to uh, to you to, at your disposal," and uh, and and we kind of come out with what feels like uh we're shooting for a 6 out of 10 and by golly we got it you know
2: yeah absolutely uh okay let's get into some some specifics here about the film uh, so it starts out on a on a bad note in my opinion with like digital studio logos I'm like this is transformers like it is you know <laughs> like <laughs> like the digital sounds <laughs> it's like Lion's Gate, or whatever, Legendary Pictures, right? Or whatever. Which is
0: such a crazy departure from the Ramon Jawandi soundtrack from the first film. Mm-hmm. R- Ramon Jawandi does the, for those of you who don't know, he does the soundtrack for Game of Thrones, right? And like to go from him to this is just, it's depressing. Mm.
2: Yeah, I would, um I was wanting the Pacific Rim theme more in this. We get it at a very big moment in the movie, like a, where they're all finally assembling and gonna go battle the kaiju, but uh, I think it's a really cool theme song. that na 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 like guitar riff thing. Uh, yeah, that is a they. Anytime you have a a fanfare or a theme that is good or recognizable, I think you should use the crap out of it because um there's few and far between that uh those can be effective. And it was uh, I was disappointed in the score for sure, for sure. Um, I liked the beginning, the setup and the aftermath of the first film, uh, with the skeletons of the Kaiju and people building around them and everything. I liked that setup. Um, something that rubbed me wrong right from the start was the character, um, was the girl character who builds the Jaeger out of the parts and the little kid Jaeger. Does that, you know what I'm talking about? What's her name? Amara? I think her
0: name is Amara. Yeah. Yeah. She, uh I don't know. How the heck did she make it? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, really, you like built a, a Jaeger? She, she, she must. I don't know. She gets like a a tractor or whatever, and and I don't know. She gets a forklift, and I, I don't, it doesn't make any doesn't make any sense. Um, and and <laughs> you have to establish rules and obey those rules. And Del Toro can do that, and uh, <laughs> this film does not. Yeah,
2: it felt like uh, the first film. Del Toro established the the rule of. It takes literally nations uh, cooperating to build these Jaegers. Like, we've come together as a human species to build these in order to save the world. And now this girl, right. this 11-year-old girl, or whatever 15. it is, 15, has built a Jaeger. Yeah, It's a kid Jaeger, though. It's cute. It's a kid. It's like, <laughs> it's like the bumblebee. It can roll It's a, a ball. Yeah, yeah, it's it's funny. Um, so that, that kind of soured me at the beginning. I was like, oh, here we go. Um, had a lot more fun. Um, and what do you think about John Boyega being Idris Elba's kid and bringing back uh, Gottlieb and bring, bringing back Charlie Day? And I guess, what do you think of the connection to the first movie? For me, I felt like this relied a little too much on the first movie in terms of referencing it a ton um i feel like anyone that's going to see this movie knows what pacific rim is and knows the universe and you don't need to reestablish everything and retell the entire story um f- for me what i wanted this movie to be was robots fighting monsters <laughs> and there was so much time spent about and I wrote this huge in my notes, which seemed the entire point of this movie. Drift compatibility I'm just like I like that note in the first movie, oh, you have you know you have to get along with the person you're piloting with, and that's what makes the the connection work better, and you know the better connection, the better fighter you are. I like that. I think that's a a emotional tool that I think he uses effectively, uh, del Toro did. But to me in this movie, it's just too much of that, just too much of the human aspect of this. Mm -hmm. Ariel, I,
0: I don't, I don't even think that it's too much. I just think that it's not done well. Mm -hmm. So it, it drags, uh, and, and they, they, they did this cool thing with the, um, with stacker pentecost i don't know if you remember where he's like he's like I don't, like uh, remember when the dad dies and the son's like how do i know it's gonna work with you and he says he's like i i'm a perfect partner i i don't bring anything into the drift i can drift with anyone um and i just think that they should have had moments where like like even among the, the recruits the cadets it's like like we know that brothers work we know that like parents and, and, and children work like but you have the like these seven random kids that were expecting to just be able to drift with each other and, and scott eastwood who's literally like a brick with a handsome face and and john boyega <laughs> like by the way brian scott eastwood is one of the worst actors i've ever seen in my life and i'm a oh he's not said. good he's not good at all yet yet i just i feel like
1: and and this is partly fast eight he's kind of fun in fast eight like I don't. I'm not expecting he that Fast he 8? could. Be, I don't. Yeah, he's the like straight FBI or CIA or whatever little it is. nobody
2: in the movie.
1: Yeah, he just gets crushed by uh by The Rock when he tries oh, to oh, yeah, put him yeah, in jail. He's better in yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just. Think, I don't think he's ever gonna be like. Man, this guy could be the next <laughs> Gary Oldman or something, <laughs> but or Clint Eastwood. But he could be like the American knockoff version of Jason Statham. Like, just kind of a fun. He's a He's a pretty face. He kind of has the the smirk down, which is you know that's something. It, it, he's he he has a little bit of of something that could be used in that kind
0: of capacity. I think um, my my suggestion on the podcast was like make him another version of Aegis Elba, where it's like I have so little personality and and so little life experience that I can drift with anyone. True. Like just play that into it. Um, but yeah, I just I, they didn't. They just copied the scene from the first Pacific Rim with the little girl uh, whose family gets killed by the kaiju. And I, I just don't think it was effective. And I think in the hands of, of Del Toro or a better writer, um, that those scenes wouldn't have felt as long. Sure.
2: Yeah, I think so, too. Um, I really liked in the first movie. I hate to harken back to this, but I love the different settings that they had. The different, you know, you have a fight in the ocean, one in the rain, and in the different... Scenarios that they're putting the Jaegers in didn't really feel that much here. Um, let me see uh, in my notes. I have shaky tube fight. You know what I'm talking about? There's a fight Shitty. where they're like f- they're like sliding down a sewer or tubes of some kind. That was a <laughs> real shaky cam. Uh Then we ha- I have running from cop Remember that?
0: Oh yeah yeah. 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 That was fine. I, I- <laughs> I mean, uh, she's not a good act. She, you know, she doesn't have a good performance. So, and it, I feel bad because nobody but John Boyega's natural charm really does anything in this film. So, maybe, know, um,
2: <laughs> maybe what would have been a good idea was hire someone to direct this who has done literally anything. A movie. No.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean, yeah. just, what is All the movie. deal Somewhere. with di- yeah. with Hollywood giving these directors who have done nothing? These huge projects, these two hundred million dollar movies. I don't understand that. I mean, this guy—he's directed an episode of Daredevil, an episode of Dollhouse, and three episodes of Angel from two thousand three. That's what—that's this guy's resume, and he directed Pacific Rim. Like, I feel like my resume is as good as that.
0: <laughs> it's, it is, it's really frustrating because, like, Daredevil's success was due to Drew Goddard, apparently um and i don't know i don't daredevil's lightning in a bottle um but this has the potential to not only be like a blockbuster film franchise both domestic and worldwide but if you do this franchise right you could spawn comics and cartoons and licensing up the wazoo you can make this star wars-esque yeah but instead they gave it to somebody who has no idea what they're doing i mean Colin Trevorrow would have made a better movie than this. I I think. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. Yeah. With with the yeah. Del Toro focused script, sure. This would have increased probably a full letter grade.
1: Yeah. I can't. Yeah. Idea. It just makes you think that the studio doesn't care that they. I don't think, think they do. Yeah. I, I think are right. I, I, I think they think this is going to make money overseas because the first movie didn't make any money here. Really. I mean, it made a hundred million dollars, but. $100 million domestically on a $190 million budget is a, is not successful at all. Um, but it made 300 million overseas. And I, and I just feel like I don't know. <laughs> I mean this is Warner Brothers and so we know what uh, they're all there about. There it is. There it but, is. But or it's actually Universal. I I apologize. Universal distributed this one. Warner Brothers was the first one. But I just I kind of feel like Universal said, "Hey, this is uh this is probably going to make Two hundred fifty or three hundred million dollars overseas. It really doesn't matter if it's good. We can get this guy for scale, basically for the director version of scale, and that's who we'll we'll get. He did a he did a Daredevil episode. That'll be fine. That's all we really need. And I I hate that. I hate when a studio like I, I you know I guess I give it some credit for like here's the mark we're trying to land or we're trying to hit and we and we hit it. But you're right, Ariel. Like that could be even again as somebody who is not a huge fan of this whole uh universe or property or whatever i i 100 agree this could be a huge thing that spawns all kinds of offshoots and licensings and things like that and maybe it still is but it it certainly doesn't help the cause when you have a movie like this that just kind of is meh at best you know like the best moments are, are like oh that was fine and that's, yeah. that's problematic, especially when it's your second movie, especially when it's your second movie that is now you've lost the guy who, you know, you, you immediately start saying, okay, maybe this whole bit was, it's not, the, it's not the Kaijus, it's not the Jaegers, it's not the actors. Maybe it literally was uh, Del Toro. And if we don't have Del Toro, then this whole thing doesn't really work anymore.
2: Maybe, um, maybe Del Toro will come back. Maybe he'll make the third one. I mean, this this, yeah. was the, this was this is the number one movie of the weekend. Um, surely it'll do well overseas. Uh, they can justify another sequel, and then De- hmm. Del Toro comes back and wraps it all up in an awesome way. Maybe that can happen. Maybe he felt so passionate about The Shape of Water that man, he's like, I got to give up Pacific Rim to do this. I'm willing to do it because I believe that strongly in the, the shape of water. You know, That's the only thing maybe that could have stopped him from making another Pacific Rim, right? Was that that one movie that he's been trying to get made for eight or nine years or whatever. So um, I wouldn't hold out hope that he could he return. I do think he uh, he has a lot of passion for Pacific Rim still and uh, wouldn't surprise me if he came back. Um, the tone of this
1: movie
2: – I wrote this down in my notes in the theater – it felt the tone of Starship Troopers. Did y'all feel that at all? Yeah, a
1: little I think,
0: bit. Uh, yeah. I, I just don't. Little, I don't think Beer-hoven-y. it's. <laughs> I don't think it's as smart as. And I've, <laughs> no, not I, I at all. I'm maybe, yeah, it's not as smart as that. And 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 I maybe I might be harping on the book a little too much, but even it doesn't lean into the messages behind it as much as Starship Troopers does. Mm-hmm. It
2: tries um, – this movie tries so much to be that satire in terms of the uh, Charlie Day becoming evil, right? Uh, Burdle. Oh, oh, my gosh. And uh, the drone Jaeger, right? That whole commentary on drone warfare and everything. Um, the Charlie Day stuff, though. We got to talk about that. Um, <laughs> so was he like banging the Jaeger brain? Or the um, yeah, kaiju brain, so. like pretty yeah. he
1: Yeah. Well, he Th- that's how that they, part's straight from Del Toro, I think.
0: Just, no, it, just, it, it it is, I'm but getting. it's it's done incorrectly. Um, I I think what happens is he he's like saying, "Oh, you have to meet Alice," and he the way he's talking to, him, he's really addicted to it. It shouldn't be shown as his wife or whatever. Like, shouldn't be talking. <laughs> it, it should be shown as a drug, um, sure. because the the precursors or whatever their names are the aliens in charge they want him to continuously link up with it so that they have a a, 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 they still have a link to earth to our universe um and it's just done wrong right i I think the moment in and of itself was very creepy and definitely from del toro's little notebook but it (laughs) wasn't (laughs) it wasn't executed well enough The, the same thing with the whole when they break open the 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 Jaeger's face, Obsidian's face, and you see the kaiju brain, that's definitely from his notebook. That is something he hinted at prior. And just the ideas are good, and I just don't think it was executed properly.
2: Yeah, I'm not against uh, him becoming obsessed with the kaiju and all of that, but it felt...
1: uh, I don't know. It It feels like it's out of nowhere. It's out of nowhere that that comes through. And that is not done well. If it's led up to... Like, I, we're all in favor of, like, oh, cool, wow, I didn't see that coming at all. What a twist. That's not a twist. That's, like, just, that's bad plot development. To have was, it drop <laughs> that way is so out of, out, I mean, out of left field completely. You're just like, what? What? I mean, it took me three minutes to figure out, like, did I miss something? Am I not connecting the dots here? That other, like, I don't, and then like, no, okay, it just, it really was that, that poorly designed and that. <laughs> just kind of thrust at you. Oh, okay, all right. It was
0: the uh, it was the giant snake of King Arthur. I forgot.
2: I erased that language. from my brain yeah. until you just
1: <laughs> <laughs> The scar brought it of all, all back. King Arthur. Yeah, Arthurian legend is. I, I mean, I've read a lot of King Arthur books and and myths. <laughs> right. I've studied the scrolls. It's, uh, it's the, all uh, snakes. Uh, yeah, it's the snake all is snakes. A
0: prominent feature in yeah. every King
1: Arthur story. <laughs> oh,
0: that's giant so, snakes
2: I,
1: at that.
0: I just I I'm so glad I didn't walk out of the theater just so I could like have that joke in my pocket at all times. <laughs> it's just like uh, what's how are they gonna do this? And then it's just the snake shows up and you're just like ah, oh, the snake. Huh okay oh. well.
2: Um There's some pretty bad exposition here. Um there's a lot of talk about especially with Charlie Day and the other Burn whatever his name is um, Byrne Gorman. Yeah. About, about here on uh, my IMDB. In terms of rehashing the first film, you know, oh, that they're a- talking <laughs> about like, remember what we did when we closed the bridge. If we reopen the bridge from the, you know, I, I just—is <laughs> there no way to yeah. rehash it without it seeming seeming so forced? With is there any way for a conversation to seem normal now? I, I just. I don't feel like you can reference anything that happened in the past without it sounding really forced. I don't you can know do why it. that's such do it a hard thing for a screenwriter. Not, why exposition yeah. is such a challenge.
1: Yeah. We're, there, there's something to that, Kent, because we harp on it. And it's not just us. I don't mean you, me, Richard, Ariel, and whoever's on the show. It is something that we talk about a lot, but it, it is that's a common uh, refrain in all of film criticism book criticism whatever whether you're you know a, a real critic a, a fake critic like us or just like a normal human being like it's but it's 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 done poorly 80% of the time now it's and it, it I don't know why that is I I would guess honestly it's not so much that it's it's worse now than it was thirty years ago. It's that every freaking movie is a sequel to another movie at this point, or a reboot of another movie, or so there's something that we have to touch on that right. um, that brings that to the forefront. So it 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 may not be that it's it's worse now. It may just be that it is happening in. Three out of every five movies. And so your chances of, of having it be bad and noticing it are are just so much greater now than it was uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago, if that makes sense.
2: Take Marvel, for example. They do such a good job of making each film independent of one another while at the same time making them connected. I don't know mm-hmm. why you can't have a franchise or have a sequel and – have the universe already established and just jump right back into that universe. Like why the, does all these sequels the, yeah, in Hollywood feels like they have to hit a reset button and be like, okay, right, we need to completely reestablish what, what this world is, yes. what the rules are. No, we know Pacific Rim. If you're going to see Pacific Rim uprising, yes. you probably know yes. what it's about. And let's just watch robots fight monsters. Why can't, well, it, that, why can't yeah. it, this movie just be five, big action scenes and then John boyegas like struggling with his you know identity of you know living up to his father's uh uh reputation right mm-hmm. why can't that be well, it why does it have to be uh, we got 12 kids involved and we've got Charlie day and we brought <laughs> back the burn guy mm-hmm. and then we've got this drone thing going on and we got the uh, I mean all those things down it, it doesn't down know to, what it is
1: doesn't well, know what it's good the, at it's not that's very it's not true totally
2: well. it's not totally Um, confident
1: Mm -hmm. and consistent but Mm. yes but to your point the the issue is that too many movies and books are this way too i cannot tell you how frequently i start like a book series and i read the first book and i really enjoy it and i start the second book and i it's like a hundred pages in and all that has happened is a rehash of what happened in the first book and um and that's very frustrating but like the movies marvel does this very well it's Honestly, it's one of the hallmarks of what makes – why those movies are so successful. There's a lot of reasons, but I would say one of the maybe top five or top ten reasons is that they – it has – those movies have a respect for the viewer that if you're in here seeing whatever, Avengers Infinity War or uh, Captain America Civil War or something else that you have at the very least, you have a vague – understanding and remembrance of what has happened in the movies previously. And it doesn't mean there's not going to be like a clunky spot here or there with that stuff, but they go in I think they go into the writing acknowledging that almost every single person who is seeing this movie, whichever one we're writing right now, has already seen all of the other movies in this series and we don't need to rehash it all. And and that's something that is missing from a lot of franchise or franchise would be movies. And this is a this is a prime example. You don't that whole back and forth between Charlie Day and uh, and the other guy. Uh, yeah, uh, it's like when Gorman, they're in the you, when you they could first cut, come together. Hey, for you the could first cut the, the whole time. scene. Oh yeah. Dude, you could cut like the whole scene minutes, and if you don't want to uh, cut it, you could rewrite it. You could find a way to yeah. write it to where it is not a cringy re exposition of everything that happened in the previous film. Which by the way, the previous film was about Giant robots fighting monsters. It's not like this is not, yeah. I don't know. You don't <laughs> need that whole, this whole back and forth. Like, we all remember it's just too, it was robots fighting monsters. Just let it be, you know?
2: I, I, think, I 100% agree.
0: Yeah, I think he literally says the line. Remember when we. Yes, he does. Yeah, remember yes. Remember when we yeah. closed
2: the drift and we didn't allow any of them back into the earth? Like, he says something like that. And that's when I wrote down, very bad exposition, Charlie <laughs> it's, Day, it's, like right in my notes. <laughs>
0: It's unbelievable because it'd be so much more effective if Bernd Gorman was just like, Newt, I still get nightmares. And and Uh if there's just a visual scene of them drifting, even if it's the same exact footage, it's just a much simpler 30-second way to tell that um, instead of saying, remember when we did this and did this and did this and did this? Oh, I still have nightmares. It's like it took you three minutes of rehashing exposition to – to give us one line of information that you could have just given the one line. It's wildly frustrating. This this, this script was apparently just rewritten over and over and over again, um, which is not good for someone like Del Toro who writes, I think, very simple scripts uh, and, and just executes them at an A-plus level. So it was just, that was, mm. you're right, Ken, that was awful. Dude,
2: really bad. Um, shout out to Leon Bridges, by the way. The yeah. uh, Better Man Fort by Fort Worth's mm-hmm. own Liam Bridges.
1: My, that's nice the best little part surprise
2: of the movie, to me. Nice little surprise uh, to hear his dulcet his, tones.
1: His new and stuff is so good.
2: So it is really man. That guy. I his voice is, like, so voice is like voices like chocolate. Man, it's like just smooth, mm, beautiful, smooth like velvet. Oof. Um, Oof. Okay, uh, one more thing. I had there's a scene in a jail cell with an argument. Um, that this is where I really the director lost me. I mean, the way that that was shot was just, it was it was just truly bad. Um, so much back and forth. No, No over-the-shoulder, no static wide shots. I mean, you're just cutting between two people arguing. What I wanted was the static wide shot, just put the camera in the jail and have them sitting there talking. That way the viewer can choose who they want to watch, and it's a way more interesting and simple way to shoot the scene instead of the constant cutting and back and forth and the zooming in on the face. I was just like, this scene has to end. And it's just, it's just the fundamental directing <laughs> that some of these people just don't understand. I mean, mm-hmm. Ava DuVernay last well, last week we talked to Wrinkle in Time, I believe it was like was just a slap in the face of like every. <laughs> um, Rule of cinema, like straight up, like you don't shoot a scene, you don't shoot a dialogue scene like this. Like there are just certain things that like if you had a textbook about directing, there would be a big red X over this, right? And then a big like giant green check over this. Yes, you you, you know, it's like that uh, – uh, don't put your hand on the burner right uh, with the big green x mm. it's, it's like that obvious on some of this stuff and i just don't understand maybe they're trying to be like different or edgy or artsy it doesn't work like there's subconsciously there's something in your mind as the viewer that you don't like about it you know and you can't figure out why i don't like this scene or why i don't like this um, the way this story is being told but it's all about how it's shot and the the shots that are being chosen by the guy behind the camera and behind uh, in the director's chair. So, I mean, at the end of the day, yes, it's a director's medium. I put this on. Uh, I'm gonna get this guy's name eventually. Um, Stephen S. Denight. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Stephen S. Denight. Never direct a movie again. Thank
0: you. <laughs> um, it's he. Uh, Daredevil was not uh, clearly. It was not a product of his. Influence. One episode of Nerve Devil, by the way.
2: It's not like he 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 was was a showrunner. Was he?
0: Yeah, Um, I I I thought it
2: was. I thought that was uh, what's his name from um, Cabin in the Woods.
0: He was the original showrunner. Oh, and he backed out. He probably laid all the groundwork. The night came in, and that series, while I think it's an A to A plus, there are some, you know, flow issues in it, uh, pace issues but really i mean it might be just vincent d'onofrio being uh, incredible and he <laughs> also did spartacus which i think just the first season is good and it's lightning in a bottle with the lead who had to leave afterwards so I, I just don't think this guy is he he's, he doesn't got he doesn't have it right like um no. and it's and and I, I mentioned this before and my last point really is that Guillermo del toro takes these really simple concepts um hey i want to make a movie about robots fighting monsters and he builds this amazing world and he gives you this amazing craftsmanship to it and I think that is the best word that you can give his his work when you look at this, you look at Shape of Water it's like oh what happens if you know a, a woman falls in love with a fish man right? you get Shape of Water and while it is ridiculous at times its execution is an A plus its craftsmanship is an A plus, Pan's Labyrinth is literally Alice in Wonderland in the Spanish Civil War, that movie is like an A plus and so you have to let him do what he wants and let him build this world, and he'll just give you an, an amazing spectacle, an amazing experience. And uh, you, obviously, you just can't do what he wants. You can't do what he does. You can't emulate um, someone like that. It's like trying to emulate Spielberg, in, right. in a sense. You know, It's just impossible.
2: Right. Yeah. Del-, Del Toro's a pure artist. I mean, pure and yeah. simple. He's an artist. I don't know if yeah. Steven S. Denight is an artist. Is I a think true he's- like auteur filmmaker, like like right. uh, Del Toro is,
0: and it and now we've we've got Edgar Wright, we've got um, uh, Anderson. What's his name? Not not Paul. Paul uh, Thomas Wes Anderson. West P-C-A. Anderson. Thank you. Yeah. Um. Not. I, well, both of them actually. But mm-hmm. I think I think Wes Anderson is a little more stylized, like Del mm-hmm. Toro. Louis um, Lettier. Mm-hmm. Louis Lettier. Yeah. Speaking of, I just watched <laughs> the Incredible Hulk, and I, I I I really enjoy that film, and I don't know what happened between that and and now you see me. Um, <laughs> Look too close, man. Marvel (laughs) Cinema.
2: It's the it's the Kevin Feige effect, man. Anybody comes in there, it can be successful.
0: I I I I think that's yeah. I think well, it's it's before the system truly took off. Yeah, Um, but I, I do think that that has a lot to do with it. But but like I said, he's Del Toro has proven himself as an auteur. Um besides what Crimson Peak, I think his last six movies have been great. Uh you've got Shape of Water, you've got Pacific Rim, you've got two Hellboys, Pan's Labyrinth, Kronos. Um the man is I've I've been like a huge fan for so long and I'm glad he now has kind of the widespread critical acclaim to go along with his his passion and his eye for art.
2: Absolutely. Um we have closing thoughts here. You going to get grades ready, guys? You guys have anything you put in uh, your notes that you did, we didn't get
0: to. Not me. Nope. Um, my my last thing is that I, I don't think the knight with the, his direction or the script ruins the world so much that the Toro can't just come back and pick up I agree. where this i off. I agree with that, yeah. yeah.
2: All right. Well, I'm going to grade this one out. I'm going to give this a... Trying to think of what I wanted compared to <laughs> what it actually is um i'm gonna give
0: this a b minus go ahead um I'll, I'll go i on the show i gave this a b minus uh if we're talking about just like straight up film criticism this is like a c right uh but in exactly terms of expect- but i I,
2: right. I like this universe i had fun i want to see more um right so i give it the benefit of the doubt in terms of uh my personal satisfaction so it's a full letter grade higher just because it's me <laughs> yeah
0: yeah yeah same with me i i, I give it a b minus on my show i'll give it a b minus here it's graded on a curve and i'm yep. willing to admit that
1: <laughs> i think i was coming in at like somewhere between b minus and c plus and i've talked myself down i'm angrier about this than <laughs> i thought i was when the whole thing started i'm gonna go i'm gonna go with a C, and if john boyega wasn't there just being pretty awesome because that guy's a just just a burgeoning movie star like a full-on movie star if john boyega is not there i think this is a d because the the robots fighting robots is just it's just not nearly as enjoyable as uh as it needs to be for a movie about robots fighting robots to be uh good or fun or i'm gonna watch this again and again and again i i really think boyega saves a good chunk of this movie because he like I think those those scenes that the uh the scenes that string together the robots fighting the robots eventually the robots fighting the kaijus they are so wheels off that without Boyega I think I think between those fight scenes we're just like oh my gosh please get back in the robe I can't do this anymore so uh I'll go see and I think that is that is firmly because of of Mr. Boyega for me
2: you know what John Boyega could be good at? James Everything.
1: Bond. Everything. Yeah, he'd be what fun. What if he was James Bond? Be a Bond? fun young, be youngish be awesome. James Bond. He has so much like I, youthful I, yeah. exuberance that you'd have to do it. He couldn't. I don't think he could go and be like even in Detroit. Like the whole I'm talking about serious, in like, unfun role. But yeah. he he kind of has to play. He still has this kind of youthful. Um, I said that already. Youthful exuberance to him. I, I you could do a James Bond thing, but it would have to be like a young James Bond to me to 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 play up. I don't know that he can do stoic, which you kind of have to do. I, I watched Skyfall today, and you kind of have to have the, be able to like put aside all emotion to be able to to play Bond. <laughs> I think, and and I'm not. I don't know how well that would play off, but it'd be fun to see him do James Bond Junior or whatever that was.
0: I, I mean if you're no way Wilson, you guys got Scott show.
1: Eastwood. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, can you imagine how angry Brits would be about that? Yeah, we got an American uh, an American <laughs> James Bond. Uh okay, I who is it? uh, it's
0: uh <laughs> it's Clint Eastwood's kid. He's uh, he's great in Pacific Rim too. Check it if out. Like, if if Eastwood's role was replaced by like Ryan Gosling Oh, like wouldn't wow. that bump you it's up to fair. like this would be like a B plus for you like you can replace Ryan Gos- you can
1: put Ryan Gosling into any movie though <laughs> and it immediately gets four letter grades better in my opinion love the guys.
2: All right, let's move on, uh, Ariel. We will definitely have you back for Pacific Rim Three in another five years. So <laughs> mark it, it down, two thousand twenty We'll we'll uh, have you back. All right, okay. Uh, let's move on. Let's hit a week recommend
1: weekly
2: recommend. go ahead be guilt that recommend
1: yeah easy this is, a, this is a quick easy one for me the best show on tv comes back tomorrow as we are recording tomorrow as you are listening to this today or yesterday or last week or something the americans back on fx the full five seasons are on uh amazon prime if you have if you're just very wealthy and and have a lot of opulence in your life and have access to amazon prime you can binge the first five seasons the final season starts uh tomorrow night and it is an incredible show and features queen of us all carrie russell and her husband matthew reese and just just so many great things it's such a great show and uh i've been i feel like i've been preaching it from the from the outset and so hopefully more and more people have listened and have have caught on but you still have time if you start binging now you can uh you can be done before that that series finale hits and and be part of the conversation so uh, americans on fx season six starts this week kent what's your uh what's your weekly recommend
2: yeah i'm gonna recommend a doc series on netflix that I've uh, started watching. Um, it's a uh, Wild Wild Country. Have you guys watched this yet? No, no, I haven't. No, this is a documentary series that uh, came out, I believe, two weeks ago, maybe last weekend. Um, this is produced by the Duplasses. and um, ah. it's about the Rajneesh cult from the seventies. If you guys don't know what it is, oh, okay. essentially, okay. Uh, yes. okay. this uh, guru guy in the 70s gained all these followers, and um, they basically purchased a um, couple thousand acres in Oregon and they built like an entire city in the middle of nowhere where this cult was living. And it basically uprooted this entire town that was kind of already there. And it's an extremely interesting documentary series uh six parts each part is an hour long it reminds me a little bit of the um the oj series in terms of just how long and detailed it is um but some of the archival footage is amazing um the first episode does a great job of setting it up Uh, i think one of the lines in the first episode is like if i told you this story you would be certain that it's fiction like there's no way this actually happened right that that's what i kept thinking when i was watching it but it's really really interesting um i don't really like how it was shot to be honest um in terms of the interviews and the way that they're framed the interviews if you watch it you'll know what i'm saying um Mm. but um i just think the subject matter is that um interesting and educational it's 100 percent right now on rotten tomatoes um i think they're doing another series i don't know if it's gonna be about the rajneesh or if they're doing a different story for each um for each season but it was really intriguing i know it's gonna be right up y'all's alley and um just another thing that netflix has done that's gonna come awards time is gonna get some gonna get some recognition mm-hmm. so um worth your time i'm sure the listeners. Um, If you've, if you've seen it, we'll hear from you on Twitter or something, but worth your time. Wild, wild country on Netflix. My recommend, Ariel.
0: All right, guys, I'm going to have you just dig deep down and and trust me on this one. Uh, This is a film that came out to American audiences last April. It is the fourth best movie I saw last year behind number one, Logan, number two and three, get out baby driver in some order uh this is an anime film called your name or in the japanese Kimi no nawa. it is kind of like freaky friday where um uh like a high school boy and a high school girl like the boy lives in the city the girl lives in the countryside in japan they wake up and they've switched bodies and um and like how they navigate that and stuff it is some of the most beautiful animation you'll ever see i promise you it has widespread appeal um, because my, I made my girlfriend watch it, and she was completely enamored with it within a few minutes, despite the fact that she needed subtitles because it's in Japanese. Um, it's got a ninety-seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes with a ninety-eight to three fresh to rotten ratio. Um, so I'm like, I know some people out there can't get past the subtitles thing. I know some people out there don't like animation or don't like anime. I'm telling you, this is. This is probably the only exception. This is the only time I'll recommend, like a wide recommend, an anime film. So that's your name. Um, and you could just, it's most famous with that name. It was one of the best movies I've seen in, in recent times. Wow, I'll
2: have to check that out. Is it streaming anywhere?
0: Uh, it, You can rent it on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, Unfortunately, it's not on Prime or anything. It just wasn't big enough. And uh, my friend had it, like had the, the, DV, the Blu-ray and he's like, here, you got to watch this. And so we've been on this like, like this really like campaign to get people to watch it. It's, uh, if anything, the the backgrounds are are hand drawn, unlike they are like, unlike the last twenty years of animation. Um, it went back to hand drawn backgrounds and hand drawn animation. So it's it's really, it's if you're a fan of animation in and of itself, it's 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 beautiful. Um, I ranked it above even Coco in my, in my you know yearly rank or whatever for last year. Oh wow, wow.
2: Wow. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Ariel, for being on Geek One Hundred One podcast. Is Ariel's show, and they talk about a lot of geek and nerd culture related things that Absolutely. are very enjoyable. Um, what are you What are you looking forward to most this year, Ariel, in terms of movies coming out? Maybe what's one you've circled that you're uh, besides the obvious, besides the Avengerses uh, or the Star Warses?
0: Um, I mean, I'm. On the show, we are very cautious of how solo is going to end up. Infinity War is the obvious one. Um, I am so focused on getting my MCU countdown series done uh, because, like, so much happened in, in this first year. But we've got four episodes recorded already. We're, we're going through all of the MCU films. Oh wow! And I'm tr- I'm trying to release them all before. Infinity War, and my schedule got all messed up because they pushed it up a full week. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. So yeah, I'm. It's. I'm gonna have four released by the end of this week. Um, so, like I just said, I just rewatched the Incredible Hulk, and um, I ended up liking that movie so much more than I thought. Uh, I, I imagine nice things like. Yeah, like like Age of Ultron, I imagine is going to drop uh, in my rankings. Mm. I, I imagine Doctor Strange is probably not going to hold up as well as I would like it to. So, uh, be on the lookout for that. We've got Iron Man already out. We've got Incredible Hulk and Iron Man Two coming out on Thursday. If you're listening to this, that's the 29th. So, that's that's all. My, my whole focus is on the MCU and uh, an Infinity War as of now. Sweet. Uh, little tease.
2: We, uh, we did an episode on the original Iron Man for our Mad About Movies VIP club. If you're a member of that, you can sign up at madaboutmoviespodcast.com slash VIP, and that will be coming out before the Avengers drops. So if you want to hear our thoughts on Iron Man MCU prior to uh, uh,
0: Infinity War, check that out.
2: Well, it's been great. Uh, Ariel, where can the MAMFAM find you online?
0: Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Dread Pirate Rada.
2: Awesome. Brian, what about you?
1: You can find me on the Twitter at Beagle Twelve. You can find my writing at madaboutmoviespodcast.com where I will have this week I will have the final the top ten uh, the final entry in my Mad About Spielberg blog series will drop uh, Thursday or Friday, depending on how, much, uh, how, how long it takes me to, to crank out those last few. So, so check that out. Kent, if I'm on the internet and I'm looking for you, where might I find you, sir?
2: You can find me at Kent Garrison on Twitter, at uh, Kent Garrison on Instagram and Snapchat. Please keep me uh, in your contacts and, and reach out. We love the conversation uh, that extends past the show, at Matt About Movies on Twitter, Please subscribe if you like what you hear and join us next week, which we'll be talking about Ready Player One. Very excited for that. I've got about 50 pages left in the book, which I'm finishing tomorrow, right mm. on time for a Thursday night screening um, of Ready Player One. Very excited. Should be good times talking Spielberg and nostalgia and all of that. So join us next week I'm out About Movies. Until then, we'll see you at the cinema. Bye.
0: Hey baby, I hear the blues are calling tossed salads and scrambled eggs. And maybe I seem a bit confused. Yeah, maybe, but I got you pegged. But I don't know what to do with those tossed salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again. Scrambled eggs
2: all over my face.
0: The is They're calling again.